Psalm 38, verses 1 through 7. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head, they weigh like a burden too heavy for me. My wounds grow foul and fester because of my foolishness. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie uh, Mistress America that came out in 2015 starring Greta Gerwig. It's a sort of a dialogue-driven comedy in a Woody Allen sort of style. And it's not all that memorable, actually, but there's a scene in it where the main character, Brooke, played by Gerwig, has arrived in Los Angeles and has come to see a friend. Brooke is a woman in her 20s, and she seems like she's kind of a mess. She's trying to figure things out, and she's a little bit ridiculous. We sort of love her and laugh at her a little bit. So her friend asks her, so what will you do in L.A.? And Brooke responds, I don't know. I think I'm sick. I don't know if my ailment has a name. It's just me sitting and staring at the Internet or the television for long periods of time, interspersed by trying not to do that, and then lying about what I've been doing. I just can't figure out how to make myself work in the world. Her friend Tracy responds, I think I have that too. The reason I've remembered this quote in an otherwise, you know, not that great movie, is the fact that although Brooke's ailment is on the surface obviously Ridiculous, like she has Netflix-itis or something, or if a, you know, one of my students came in and was uh, trying to submit it, said they couldn't submit their paper because they'd been infected by uh, procrastination. <laughs> uh, nevertheless, there's also some kind of heart and honesty to what she's saying. Brooke has lost her way in life, and she is suffering. And her instinct in this situation is to reach for the language of illness, Her experience is that she just can't figure out how to make herself work in the world. And the best analogy she can find for this condition is that of disease. I think we're meant to have compassion on Brooke. But I think the movie also wants us to see this move as a little bit self-indulgent. Because to reach for the illness metaphor for her Netflix habits is clearly in this case to try to be honest while also avoiding responsibility. If she's sick, then she can't be blamed. The theologian Stanley Hauerwas, who hasn't always been my favorite theologian, nevertheless once wrote a brilliant essay on how we think about illness in the modern world. Hauerwas says this, In our time, the discovery that we are sick is often the closest analogy we have for for understanding what it means to discover and confess that we are sinners. This is because, quote, sickness names those aspects of our lives which are clearly not as they should be, but which we have not chosen. For a lot of us, pleading illness has become one of the few remaining culturally acceptable ways of admitting weakness, of admitting we are not superhuman, not perfect. When you're sick, you're allowed, at least for a little while, to not have to be simultaneously a perfect father or mother brilliantly successful in your career and a spouse who was simultaneously sensitive and encouraging but also attractive and fun. When you're sick, you can just be in bed. 
You're allowed to admit things are not as they should be, and you know that the proper response will be not compassion, uh, will, uh, will be not blame, but compassion. So when I look at Brooke in this movie, what I see is not some sort of Gen Z person trying to avoid responsibility. What I see, rather, is someone who's starting to realize that there's something that's gone wrong deep within her. I think Brooke is ready for church. Part of why I think this is there has actually been a long tradition in the Bible and in theology of understanding sin, and especially original sin, the sense of an innate kind of fault in human nature, um, understanding all this through medical metaphors of illness and wounding. There are, of course, many metaphors for sin in the Bible. I've been writing about them recently. Sin as weight or burden, sin as debt, sin as stain or pollution, sin as rebellion, sin as slavery, and so on. But one clear metaphor that recurs at a number of points in the Bible is that of wound or disease. Our passage this morning from Psalm 38 is one of the classic places in the Bible where illness and sin come very close together. Remember in verse 3 we read, There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. They weigh like a burden too heavy for me. My wounds grow foul and fester. Now this psalm is one of the seven penitential psalms, which means that for about a thousand years, Christians would have heard this psalm as much as any piece of scripture. These were psalms that were used very, very regularly in the medieval church in the, in the West, uh, amongst other things, and they shaped uh, how, how we think about all sorts of things. But, um, and it comes, uh, clearly seems to be coming out of a situation where someone is both physically sick and feeling uh, like they are a person who is, um, who is guilty uh, and who God is holding guilty in some way. And this has caused a lot of problems for modern commentators because it seems to draw such a close link, actually, between sin and physical illness. You know, is the psalmist sick or are they guilty? A lot of commentators say, really, it's all an extended metaphor for guilt. Others say it's all uh, this sort of weird turning, uh, turning a physical problem into a moral problem that's sort of, uh, that, that shouldn't be done. But commentators don't know quite what to do. They're worried that people will read this and say, um, we can blame sick people uh, for their illness because it's connected to sin, which is a terrible thing to do. St. Augustine, the guy I spend a lot of my time thinking with and reading, uh, provides a remarkable solution to this problem in his commentary. Augustine argues that the reason we have bodies that can get sick and die in the first place is because of original sin. That's a classic view in the history of the church. And it's an idea that has quite robust scriptural support, as it happens. Mortality is the punishment for Adam's sin. Paul describes quite a robust connection between sin and death in Romans 5. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so on. So Augustine thinks there is indeed a connection between sin and illness. But he says that it's not, just, it's not about particular sins. You, know, you, this thing, you do this thing and then you get sick or something like that. And what he, the connection is one that affects all of us equally, according to Augustine. This is because the situation being described in Psalm 38 is the condition of uh, original sin. It's the, it's the human condition that's being described in this psalm. He says, Adam's punishment has become our nature. So the psalm is speaking, according to Augustine, to the fact that human nature has a defect in it, that we are all suffering from a malady of the soul. And the great power of this way of thinking of all forms of sort of medical analogy, really, I think, at least in the modern world, is that they communicate compassion 
When you see sin as an illness or as a wound or as a disease, you immediately feel compassion towards it. Instead of think, imagine thinking of it as a crime, you know, you're not as, quite as quick to think of a crime as something to have compassion towards, but an illness, who, would, who doesn't feel bad for someone who's been afflicted? Our condition is not okay, it says. It causes us to suffer. It leads to suffering in others. There's a wrongness in the soul that needs to be fixed and that we cannot fix ourselves. We can no more escape the condition of sin by willpower, the analogy tells us, than you can heal a broken bone by telling it you've decided that it's time for it to stop being broken. In the doctrine of original sin, we find compassion. We find that compassion and recognition that we can't help ourselves can go together with the idea that somehow in the mystery of the world's fallenness, we still have responsibility for ourselves. We are still somehow responsible for the way that we are. But what does it actually feel like to suffer from this condition? This is a great question for, uh, for, for all of us. How do, how, how, if, if this thing about sin is true, then how do we actually experience it that's real and not kind of invented? What are the symptoms of sickness of soul in the modern world? And I think there are a lot of things to say, but for myself, I think, this, I think we get clues to the, the reality of this condition of the soul in, in a number of ways. Um, one way is by looking at the kind of thing that Brooke was trying to describe in that, that sentence, uh, that quote earlier. The feeling that you can't quite make yourself work in the world. Maybe being, you know, you're lonely, but your attempts to connect with people just don't quite seem to work out. You also seem to get in the way of your own good, put people off. Um, all these, you just sort of can't quite make it work. Uh, it may be that there's something fundamentally um, uh, that needs work in, in all of us. Or maybe you know that you should be happy with what you have. On the surface, it seems like you're living the dream at work, or you've got the money that you hoped for, or you have this perfect family life in theory, and so on. But there's a part of you that still just wants to escape. I'm at an age where people are just starting to discover that getting what they wanted in career and family doesn't actually solve all the problems of the soul. Whenever we find something in ourselves that just seems forever a little bit off, a little bit disappointing, I think we're getting a kind of glimpse at the ma- of the malady of the soul. And likewise, I am convinced, I don't know about you, I think that many, many people go through life suffering from a kind of low-grade pain, so subtle and constant that they sometimes forget that it's there. A kind of background noise of suffering. And I know I'm dwelling a little on the heaviness here, but, you know, it is, it is Lent. Um, So sometimes you only start to see that this pain is there when you realize just how much time we all spend self-medicating. Getting home from work and you make a beeline to the fridge for a beer because as soon as you stop working, you start to hurt. Being exhausted late at night but unwilling to go to sleep, unwilling to stop watching or scrolling or reading or whatever because to go to sleep is somehow to admit to yourself that you didn't quite find what you were looking for that day, that the needs of your soul were not in fact met come uh, nightfall. So here's the thing about being sick, however. When we are sick, and this is what's so great about this metaphor, when we're sick, there's a place we go for healing. We go to the doctor. A doctor is someone who can help you in your suffering, whose job is to help you in your affliction, to put right what is wrong with you when you can't do it yourself. There's a tradition in Christianity, as many of you will know, of calling Jesus the great physician. 
When we read the Gospels, we read story after story of Jesus coming to those who are sick or wounded or unwell and giving them healing, restoring them. The paralytic who gets lowered through the roof, the blind man by the side of the road, the woman with the issue of blood, the countless unnamed ones who come to him during these periods of his of healing. Jesus is a healer of the sick. But as he himself reminds us, his expertise as a doctor extends well beyond purely physical ailments. He also did an extended residency in the cure of souls. Do you remember that wonderful line? It's in both Matthew and Mark, where Jesus himself draws the analogy between sin and illness, that great compassionate analogy. Those who are well have no need of a doctor, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. He's come for the sick, for the sinners. So if you find yourself afflicted by the disease of the soul, if you know what I mean by the low hum of suffering that never quite goes away, there's a place to bring your affliction, and that is to the great physician. He has healing in his hands. But when you do so, you may find something curious. You may find that the key to your healing is somehow lies connected to the wound itself. The place of your damage is also the place through which your wholeness will come. St. Augustine wrote very beautifully about how the great physician likes to make use of what Augustine calls contrary remedies. I love this phrase, contrary remedies. What he means by this are sort of counterintuitive treatments. This is what Augustine says. Since because man had fallen through pride, God applied humility to his cure, a contrary remedy. We were deceived by the wisdom of the serpent, so we are set free by the folly of God. We made bad use of immortality and so ended up dying. Christ made good use of mortality so that we might end up living. He uses contrary remedies. He uses the opposite of what you'd expect to heal you. I'm reminded here of, uh, of the second season of, uh, this is now a dated reference, I'm aware, but of the second season of, of Stranger Things, a show that I love, along with half the world, I guess. Um, uh, to me, it's obviously the best season and definitely the best finale. Um, for those of you who have not seen it, the events of the show begin with a kind of wound that has been inflicted on the fabric of reality in a small town in Indiana. A young girl with uh, immense psychic powers has unwittingly opened a portal to a world of darkness and evil. And in each season, the town of Hawkins suffers in some new way from this flaw in reality. Eleven, the character, this woman, this girl, she had a horrible childhood, taken from her family and exploited for her powers. But she's also done a terrible thing, even though she didn't really realize what she was doing. It is she who opened the portal to darkness. She's the answer to the problem, but she's also the cause. And this, in season two, they draw a kind of analogy between the rent in the fabric of reality, the wound, and a kind of wound of guilt within Eleven, within herself. She feels very... She, she, she suffers under the, the guilt of what she's done. And so a character says to her towards the end, you have a wound, Eleven, a terrible wound, and it is festering, and it will grow, spread, and eventually it will kill you. Just to be very obvious, I see Eleven's wound as a metaphor for original sin. She has a wound, and it will kill her unless it is healed. She is like us. But in the show, in what I consider the providence of God, though they don't put it that way, 
uh, Eleven's wound also becomes the path through which her salvation comes. It is her wound that drives her out of the horrible institution where she was into the world where she actually finally encounters people who can love her, this brave, wonderful group of boys who take her in. It is in her wound that she finds a great purpose and calling for the enormous powers she's been given, a battle to fight and something worth dying for. And it's being driven out into the world to fight against the darkness that she caused that she is given the thing that this particular lost and damaged little girl needs more than anything else which is a father. In the climactic sequence of season two, when she descends to face the darkness, some of you will remember it, she goes down into this pit. Only one person goes with her, it's Hopper, her dad, her adopted dad. And the whole time when she's trying to close the portal, he's defending her with this gun. Always makes me cry. Um, uh, She's killing the monsters that are trying to get her. Eleven's wound is a terrible and evil thing and immensely damaging. But in the providence of God that the show never mentions, it becomes a contrary remedy. Through her wound, she is given everything. So wherever you and I are wounded, wherever the symptoms of the human disease are making themselves felt most acutely, our faith tells us that that is the place to look first for healing. It is there that you will find the hands of the great physician at work, full of compassion and healing. Dear Lord, I pray for all of us in any form of suffering or afflictedness that we are experiencing, that we would encounter your, your healing work, that we would encounter you as the great physician who has come to um, cure us, body and soul and that we would find joy and peace in that healing. In Jesus' name we pray.